All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we are exploring the landscape of learning technology, cutting through the fluff, and getting your questions answered. Uh, today, I'm joined by Julie Zinn and Josh Kamrath, and they're from Bongo, uh, which I every time I say Bongo, I just think bingo, bango, bongo. And I actually put that in one of the posts, and it literally does run through my head every time. But anyway, it's we're not talking about party favors, we're talking about video workflow. So that's what we will be discussing today. For those of you who are just joining us live, go ahead, give us a thumbs up, like the post, share it, tag in somebody who's who's doing something with video and would benefit from this. And also, while you're at it, comment in, join the party, comment in and let us know where you're joining from. I am in Waukesha, Wisconsin, as always, and uh, let's let's go around the room. Julie, we'll start with you. Where are you today in the world? Sure thing. I am in Northern Colorado, Fort Collins. Okay, and we talked about this right before we went live, right? I was born and birthed, yeah, so awesome. This is home, home. You know our stomping grounds. I know the stomping grounds. All right, how about you, Josh? Sure. So I live in sunny San Diego, uh, North County, in a town called Del Mar. Okay. All right. And is is the are the skies clearing up out in California yet? Yeah, they were. You know, the smoke was inundating uh, the skies the last few days. But yeah, looking out the window, it's uh, it's baby blue skies right now. It's okay. been coming here. That's what's happening. <laughs> you know what's actually? It's interesting. Two days ago, I think it was two days ago, I was out on a walk with my kids and you could look straight at the sun because it was so hazy mm -hmm. and smoky. They're just, you know, it wasn't, and my kids, we ended up talking about it because they're like, why is the sun not bright? And I had to explain you know, there's fires and all the stuff. So yeah, well, I'm glad to hear it's clearing up because that means it'll uh, make its way here soon enough. <laughs> all right. So before we get into it, right, nothing related to learning and technology. You've had some time to think about this. I have the upper hand because I had more time to think about it. But those of you watching, you can play along. Feel free to comment in your answer. But the question is, if I were to open the trunk of your car, what would I find in it? And uh, I'm going to reverse the order. So Josh, let's start with you. What's in the trunk of your car? Sure. So my wife and I actually just had a baby. Uh, he's five months old. And in the trunk is a, a blanket. And uh, I think the car seat actually is still in there. But we went to the beach on Sunday uh, and I think I left, you know, we bring the baby in and, and being all sandy and stuff, we actually left all of the beach stuff in the trunk. So okay. uh, I'm sure it's still there because I don't think so we're still the beach stuff, and... baby stuff. Okay. Yeah, oh, baby stuff, stuff, blankets. <laughs> all right. All the good stuff. Um, so is this, is that number one? It Are is. Baby? Yep. He's okay. our first okay. baby. Uh, like I said, five months old. His name's Jay and okay. he's awesome. It, every day is, you know fatherhood gets a little better. <laughs> yes. Well, just so you know, that will permanently fill the trunk of your car for a while. And <laughs> yeah. I have more, you're going to just need to get a bigger trunk. Okay. I'll, I'm just giving you the heads up now. <laughs> totally. I, yeah. I'm already feeling it <laughs> already. All right. Yeah. So yeah, well, this one's great. Bill, Bill added camping gear, no bodies. So good. All right. Well, that's, that's good. We don't want that in the trunk. How about you, Julie? Um, I have a paddleboard in my trunk. Um, in your trunk? Well, I have an SUV, so, you know, it's like a hatchback thing. Um, it's it's a blow-up kind. Yeah, that's what you need to do. It's not okay. 
Yeah. It's okay, I'm picturing this like giant plat. Yeah. Like, do you have a Mary Poppins trunk? <laughs> <laughs> and I have another car in the trunk. Yep. And <laughs> Um, yeah, but it hasn't been used in a while because we've also had fires here in northern Colorado. And so I mean, we really haven't been able to get out. So um, hopefully now I can do that. And then I have a bunch of balled up different kinds of tape because we've been trying to fix my console between the front seats. You know that thing that oh, oh, yeah. all your junk in it? Yeah, well, the, the, junk, the junk console where you yeah, just dump so everything you don't know what to do with in your car. Stuck in the upright position and we've been trying to fix it. We're on like plan M or something now, but there's so much like balled up. Okay. So slides. it's failed attempts of, of yes. the MacGyvering of repair of your, of your center console. Okay. Well, that's exactly. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, the paddleboard threw me for a loop, but inflatable paddleboard that I, okay. I can, I can understand that one a little bit. All right. So for me, right. I have five kids under the age of 10. So it's oh my packed God. with kids. I think there's a stroller bundled up in there, probably a bag filled with snack food because that's what you do. You just pack the cabinet and pantry just in case they get hungry water bottles. It's it's probably a mess. Although I do know I have a hidden compartment in my in the back of my Acadia where I keep like, you know, jumper cables and all that good stuff. So nothing really too exciting. I used to keep my drone, my mini drone in there just in case, but I don't go anywhere anymore. So now the drone's in the house. All right. Anyway. All right. So let's, let's shift gears. Let's start talking about this because we we're talking about video workflow, which we'll define a little bit here, but um, actually, why don't we start with that? So when we're talking about, and, and this is just at a high level, because I think this will then lead us into the story of Okay, so what is a video workflow? Why did you start Bongo to really kind of pursue that? So when we're talking about video workflow, how do you how do you define that? And you can either both take a stab or you know take turns. Doesn't matter to me. Do you want to go, Josh? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll take that one. Yeah. So you know, really, video workflow as we define it, we call it video assignments, and like like you kind of touched on, it's basically structured workflows where the learner is demonstrating a skill or competency or or giving a speech uh, maybe if it's a higher ed uh, use case or it could be a salesperson giving a, a product description or an elevator pitch uh, but they're the learner is really the one recording themselves demonstrating a skill or task or or again competency Okay. And then once they've made that submission, there's a number of structured feedback workflows around that learner submission. So feedback could either come, it could be human driven, so uh, facilitated by a, a practitioner or manager. A lot of times it's peer to peer. So you know, a number of salespeople uh, give their elevator pitch and then kind of critique each other. Or now more recently, we have uh, machine-driven feedback. So powered by AI and machine learning tools, uh, automated feedback uh, we call auto-analysis. Okay. And you know, that, that really is one of the kind of core components where we, Bongo, see our, our future and, and a lot of investment is going into uh, making auto-analysis more robust. Well, and we're going we're gonna to dig into all three of those because I think sure. that that's really important. And, and I think that's the big thing, right, is, is as we were getting ready for this, talking about the fact that video is an important medium for employee development, for feedback, all these great things. But if it's just sitting on a shared drive 
gathering virtual dust, it's not really doing anything. And so how do you actually take that and bring it to life? But um, so I'm going to ask the bongo story. But actually, before I do, I, this, I saw this comment come through. So I just have to call this one out because Nyla, <laughs> I, thought, I thought the paddleboard in the trunk uh, of the car was, was impressive. A queen mattress, that one may take the cake. If I was giving out, if I was giving out prizes for most shocking thing in the trunk of a car, I think, I think Nyla would have taken it with the queen mattress. <laughs> anyway, okay. So, all right. So video workflow, we're talking about this and I agree that this is an important topic, but what made you say, you know what, we should create a company around this. What's yeah. the backstory? You know, so, so the backstory is actually the company was founded by a tenured professor in uh, Colorado. So he's tenured at Metro uh, Metropolitan State University down in Denver uh, as a faculty member also at Colorado State, uh, which is actually where I went to school. And Dr. Jeff Lewis, the founder, uh, basically set out to solve his own problem, which at the time almost you know, a little over a decade ago was having students give a presentation from a distance okay, um, and then get feedback and, and coaching around that presentation. And he needed that to facilitate online courses. Uh, so that's really where the company started was, you know, he set out to solve his own problem and then built the company around that. Uh, now, as kind of mentioned, the company has really evolved uh, both for higher ed, but you know, really, I feel like we fill a deeper void in corporate learning. Yeah. And that, you know, and you kind of touched on it a second ago. Just recording a video, you know, that sits on a repository like a Drive or Dropbox or something or YouTube, it's not very valuable from a teaching and learning standpoint. And really that's where video assignments and structured workflows uh, make a big impact is being able to attach a learning outcome to a video makes it tangible uh, in terms of uh, progress and you know, improvement or assessment and validation of a skill. And you know, that's really, uh, like, like I mentioned, you know, a lot of our future and, and uh, you know, the millions of users that we have currently that's really the focus is it's is it again attaching a learning outcome to a yeah. to a video well and the thing with it is is in 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 the nirvana or in our ideal state right people would know what they were looking for and they would go find mm -hmm. it and they would do all this stuff but in practice that's just not how it plays out, right? Like people just don't, they, they sometimes don't know what they need. They sometimes don't know where to go look for it and, you know, or, or just aren't proactive enough to do it. And I think that's where the automation of trying to do that and help make it clear, what should I do and how should I do it can actually then ups, upscale videos potential by saying, okay, yeah, it's a good thing, but by itself, it's really not much of anything until you actually put it to put it to work through a workflow, I guess we could say. Mm -hmm. I think from a passive experience to exactly. a very engaged experience. Right. Well, and that's the whole thing with learning, right? I mean, it's all about what you have to do something with things, even skill. You can take all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't put it into practice, mm -hmm. did you really learn anything. I mean, maybe up here, but is it doing anything for you? So, mm -hmm. but the, the other thing before we dig into the capabilities, now you've taken a little bit of a different approach than, than a lot of players in the space or, or some vendors out there in that you're not necessarily looking to create the new place that people go, right? Or the, the new thing, you're actually integrating in with other 
other learning tech providers, correct? So talk a little bit about that because that's a that's a different avenue than I think a lot of people think of when they say, hey, mm-hmm. I've got a great idea for an app or a great idea for a capability. The initial response a lot of times is, I'm going to go create that thing. And, and you didn't or you're, you're not. Yeah. And, and really, you know, we've really made a conscious effort to focus on our core competency, which is structured video workflows, uh, having learning outcomes attached to video. And like you just said, instead of trying to reinvent the wheel and and build like an LMS or any, you know, uh, a full stack engagement tool, you know, we've really made the decision to focus specifically on taking our technology and plugging it into partner organizations to power that high touch, high engagement interaction between a manager and an, an employee or um, or just around the learners. Uh, and, and really what that means is, uh, you know, we do have a handful of, of direct customers, but really almost all of our user base is part of another system, right? Whether it's D2L or Loop or Cengage, like we have a lot of different partners and, you know, learners would log into Loop. They wouldn't necessarily know that they're using Bond. Exactly. It's, you know, it's really, we're just powering uh, this cool set of functionality inside of another vendor's product. Okay. And And Oh, sorry, Julie. Sorry. Hopefully making them more competitive in this, you know, COVID world. I mean, digital learning is really just taken a a firmer place in, in the learning landscape. Right. And this hopefully gives them a higher value solution that they're bringing to market. um, And then also giving higher value to their customers. Okay. Well, and it's an interesting play. I've had a number of conversations recently with people about, right, is the ecosystem consolidating or is it expanding, things like that. And you know, one of the things that I think has always been a struggle for some of the, the bigger players is it is hard to specialize in capabilities in your tech when you're trying to do it all, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think as a result, sometimes you end up with something that does everything but doesn't do anything really very well. And mm-hmm. I think it's a unique approach to say, hey, let let Bongo focus on getting video workflow like best in class so that we don't have to focus all our resources on it. And then let's integrate into that so that we can say we've got the best video workflow without having to deal with the overhead. It's almost kind of like, mm-hmm. a, you know, outsourcing some of your capabilities so that you can focus your attention. Mm-hmm. And really, that's where a lot of our partners decide to go with us is like Julie mentioned, you know, COVID changed the world. Everybody knows that, you know, engagement from a distance is needed. And a lot of our partners or, or these other vendors, you know, are looking at their own product roadmap and saying, we know we need to add, you know, so there's this, you know, cloud of video and we know we yeah. need to add engagement. We can either you know, build it ourselves, and it's going to take two years of engineering uh, capacity to get something, or we can go look at a, a you know, part, partnering with an organization like Bongo and get product in market in 30 to 60 days. Yeah. So well, it's interesting. I think this is a shift that we're probably going to see more and more of over over the mm-hmm. years. It's actually a shift that I think we saw internally in L&D 
happen. Uh, it's probably been a while, although some organizations are still doing this, but right, the build versus buy question, mm -hmm. which, you know, internally we were doing this in L and D for a long time where it was like, you know what, we'll build our own LMS or LA. And you're like, why? Like, why would you waste your time and resources trying to reinvent the mousetrap when it's going to take you 10 times longer, it's going to cost you 10 times more mm -hmm. versus just saying, let's find right. somebody who's doing a great job with it. Mm -hmm. So it's actually interesting seeing, you know, that happening on the outside side, even within the tech capability, which gives the impression of a simplification or consolidation of the ecosystem. When in fact, it's not, it's just as diverse. It's just being hid behind another right. layer. Exactly. And, and, you know, we've had actually partners that are extremely healthy partnerships, but before they became a partner, they tried to build it themselves. And, you know, what that ended up is, you know, they were a day late and a dollar short bringing a solution to market. And they actually came back to us and, you know, abandoned a homegrown solution to, you know, incorporate our technology. So, yeah, what, what you're saying is exactly correct and hits it on the head. You know, it's funny. Oh, go, go ahead, Julie. Uh, I was just going to say that we've invested a lot in um, making it happen easily for our partners. You know, we've done it enough now. We've got a really prescriptive program, actually, for how we um, kick off with a new partner and get them integrated quickly so that they can be bringing value to their customers as quickly as possible. And, you know, there's a lot of tracks that go into that. But because we've kind of stumbled along with our initial few partners, we've figured some things out over yeah. time. So I think that's as much of what we're bringing to the table is, you know, that smooth ramp for our partners, um, just as much as the actual tool. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, another parallel kind of an, you're, I'm actually seeing a similar thing with where L&D is going, which is you're kind of the invisible video workflow behind the big name, which is where L&D, in my opinion, needs to go in organizations, right? Invisible L&D. We're not out there saying, look, we've created all this great stuff. You don't know we're there. It's just happening for you and, and making things, you know, work really well. And I think that's, it's a it's a cool way to approach it. It takes a little bit of humility, right? Because you got to be willing to not be the the big name that's showing up everywhere, but knowing mm -hmm. you know what that doesn't really matter because we're actually solving massive problems for people. Mm -hmm. So let's dig into the actual let's let's unpack video workflow a little bit more in terms of you know what some of these kind of use cases or things like that. And and Josh, I know you've got a couple slides that may help illustrate this, but you know. Walk me through some just pragmatic use cases. And I really do want to dig into the analysis thing because this is mm -hmm. something that I was talking about a while ago and nobody really seemed to catch, they just didn't seem to click. So when you said that you're doing that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to know how, how you're doing it. But let's get into some of just kind of the practical case studies. Sure. Yeah. So uh, from a use case perspective, um, you know, really we have four core assignment types, we call okay. them. Uh, so there's individual projects, which is probably the most prolific. Uh, there's okay. question and answer where we you know, put somebody on the spot, uh, kind of like an interview you can think of it as. Okay. Uh, there's group projects, which facilitates team interaction. And then uh, individual video, which is uh, more watching a video and it's got embedded questions throughout to check for, you know, make sure okay. the learners like sponging up the material, if you will. Okay. Uh, but, you know, a, a use case, uh, and, and I alluded to it a little bit, 
but you know, and maybe I'll have a have a core use case, and and it'll tie back to having auto analysis come in. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like software companies are, you know, hopefully every month, but on you know some cadence, coming out with new functionality, new new features, and a lot of organizations have a hard time translating what the engineers built to why is it important to a customer? Why does it matter? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Why does it matter? Value story. Yeah. And, you know, so one of the, you know, kind of core use cases that we see is pretty common is, uh, you know, having the engineering team or the product marketing team uh, basically create a, a quick overview video uh, as part of the instructions. Uh, describing this new feature and then it'll go out to all of the learners. So maybe like, you know, everyone in customer success. So the salespeople like new logo sales, the support team, the customer success team and account managers, and they'll watch, you know, consume this content, hopefully understand it, but then it'll be put, you know, kind of on, on the learner to articulate back what those new features are and why they're important to the end user okay. or the customers. And, you know, what that does is uh, really validate that the, in this case, all of the customer facing people from an organization, not only understand these new features, but also are able to clearly articulate why it's important and why the customer's receiving value. And, you know, in, in the traditional sense, they'll watch each other, you know, they'll be broken, you know, it might be 30,000 uh, customer success people, okay. customer learners. They might be broken down into, you know, thousands of groups of five and everybody makes a submission. And then that small group of five watches each other's and critiques each other, maybe off of a rubric or timestamp text comments, number of different ways to have peer to peer interaction around that subject take place. And, you know, arguably the, the learners are, again, both articulating their knowledge, but then holding each other accountable to uh, what they're supposed to be learning uh, and hopefully so, building for cross-functionally. Uh, so just from a workflow standpoint, and, and just so I can kind of make sure I'm mm -hmm. understanding how Bongo then enables that. So if we're looking at this just from a workflow, someone, mm -hmm. right, and product engineer, us, me on whatever, pushes yep. out something to a big audience, and that's articulating what this stuff is. And then that gets pushed to these almost subgroups of people who then create their own versions of kind of their articulation of what that is. And then in that peer group is interacting with each other on, you know, feedback and what they, you know, what they picked up from that other thing. And that's all being automated through Bongo. So instead of saying, okay, yep. we need to create a box folder and we need to have Bill put his video there. And then we need to create another folder, mm -hmm. 5,000 folders and this team of five, that's just all happening then automatic, automatically through the system. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is, especially in corporate learning, you know, there's a, uh, a hodgepodge of solutions that are all kind of loosely knit together. Um, and people are trying to make it work. Uh, by doing that, and you know, as soon as you try to, you know, put put a record a video, put it in Dropbox, blast it to everybody, there's just no accountability, and and nobody really watches. So, the, so that's videos. another question. So, the accountability behind it is another piece then that's baked in oh, because yeah. you actually then are able to see, hey, who's doing this, who's engaging with it, um, yep. you know, what are they, what are they saying, like what you're actually, and to me, this is the big 
thing I love about technology yeah. is the fact that you now are capturing data on this. So instead of making yeah. assumptions, oh, I think people watched it. Yeah, I think somebody did something with it. We can actually see what they did. Exactly. And that's like exactly it is it's accountability to completing the task, you know, understanding this new feature or giving a sales pitch. Like there's lots of use cases, but there's accountability to the task, but also accountability to the materials, right? Like what is supposed to be learned, right? You know, the learner then, you know, is held accountable to proving that they understand that subject matter or that piece of content. Right. And you know, that's ultimately what corporate learning, you know, teaching and learning, like that's the, the most paramount piece of it. Right. Of course, we want people to be upskilled and and you know, generating new skills. But at the end of the day, what we what most organizations want most is for the learners to just be good at the task at hand, understands why, you know, products sell or what what features are compelling, why it's important. And, you know, again, that's really, uh, so there's a bunch of learning science, like situated learning model um, is, is one, for instance, where you know, that is bongo, right? Is people learn best well, by- it into practice, I think is the biggest thing, right? Cause exactly. it's one thing I think historically when we look at, and this isn't right to, to anybody's fault, it's just, it's a lot more work than I mm -hmm. think people realize as you say, hey, ideally, the easiest thing is we create this video from from you know Julie, subject matter expert, and we distribute it out to everybody, and we we kind of you know cross yeah. our hands and say I hope right that people got it and that they did something with it, and mm -hmm. then ideally if we'd like to we'd like to say well but let's prove it right let's have people show that they know how to do it, and I I know a lot of organizations I've <laughs> I've been part of them where you're trying to figure out well how do we actually pull that off mm -hmm. yeah. And if well, you MacGyver it, it's not easy. Go ahead, Julie. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no. especially when you're trying to do that at scale. Right. Um, and one of the most powerful um, types of accountability is peer-to-peer -peer accountability. Mm -hmm. And so when you have, in Josh's example, you know, this group of five maybe working together, well, first of all, they're going to go through kind of an analyzation process to kind of figure out the context in which they need to present this spiel. Um, to their particular type of customer. And then they're going to practice it in, a, in one of our workflows. And then they can be given peer-to-peer -peer feedback. And the chances are it's going to be pretty honest peer-to-peer -peer feedback. And as we're saying, there's nowhere to hide in video. You're going to show, show what you know. And if you know it, great. And if you don't, it may not be so pretty. Um, but going back to also Josh's comment about learning science, you know, I'm sure a lot of people on the, the session today are familiar with Bloom's taxonomy. What I personally love about Bongo and really one of the reasons I came to this company is because you're kind of climbing up that, that ladder, you know, yeah. apply, analyze, evaluate, create. Bongo enables that. That's It's just really cool. And it's where real learning, you know, that authentic learning is actually happening. And you can't get that even in a classroom. I, I don't think it's certainly not at scale with tens of thousands of scale. Well, and I think that's the biggest thing, right? You, you hit the nail on the head, Julie, with that. That is the biggest challenge. Some of these things, can you do them in a classroom or can you do them, you know, maybe on Dropbox? Sure. If you've got 15 people and that's all you're trying to do it with, if you're trying to do it with 15 people, MacGyvering might work. You might be able to duct tape and, and, you know, paper yeah. clip something together. But 
one, you're still not going to have the data. Getting back to you know mm -hmm. Joe's comment in the in the feed, the data is not going to be there. And two, the second you start saying, "Great, now we want to do this for a thousand people in 37 mm -hmm. different countries," yeah. and suddenly your Dropbox paperclip duct tape method yeah. just doesn't cut it anymore. Mm -hmm. Or even if you want to practice it 10 times, five times, you know, your, your classmates in, in the live classroom are going to be like rolling their eyes like, oh, come on. You know, I don't want to wait for you to practice this 10 times. Yeah. I don't want to listen to Julie on her Right. Well, and that's right. And, and again, to me, one of the big things about this is, is it's democratizing this mm -hmm. stuff to allow people to do this at their own pace, on their own time and not and personalize it because again to your point it actually can have a negative effect on other participants if seven people are good they're good to go they hit it on the first round and they're like let's move on like what's next and and josh is over here still stumbling through his first pitch and now everybody's like come on like can we can we move on with this already so i think that's where <laughs> and to your point of trying to scale it i was i was doing an interview the other day And we had to we had to record the interview in case Zoom crashed too, and then upload the file into Dropbox. Honestly, most of the time we spent was just around. No, hang on. No, no, it's this folder. Oh, it's not working. It's too slow. No, you didn't save the right file form. That kind of stuff. And that can crush something that would have tremendous potential well, you know that cumbersomeness is so distracting too so to the learning experience and yeah that you know that's really what the what the tool facilitates is just streamlined workflows and you know you, you've been bringing up data a couple times another really cool uh use case that we you know hadn't initially anticipated but what we've seen uh somewhat common is organizations using this uh, to you know, essentially generate a data set or an artifact. And they might have, you know, it might be a sales pitch, it might be a situational experience of, you know, somebody comes, you know, a, a subordinate, someone who works for you comes to you with a challenging problem, how do you solve that? And it's, you know, the organization has their learners go through this situational experience maybe uh, twice a year. And over the course of a couple of years, each time they do it, it creates or generates an artifact. So then the manager at the end of year two or, or you know, at some time period can look back and, you know, with the employee and, and be able to show longitudinal progress. And, you know, then it becomes an actual discussion topic or think something yeah. to talk about as opposed to, If it, you know, if there isn't an artifact or, or something to reference back to, you know, when, when feedback's provided, you know, we all do it. it it's been like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure, I said a lot of filler words, you know, <laughs> but it didn't really sink in unless you can point to it. And that's really the cool thing with Bongo is, is it makes it tangible, uh, all, all of this feedback and, and I, uh, that tangibleness is, is really powerful and, and impactful in improving people's skills. Yeah. Well, and making it easy, right? Making it easy. I, I can't understate the importance of the simplification of that because it sounds, I don't know how many conversations I've been in, you know, with, if you, if you haven't been in it, 
it's easy to overstate like, oh yeah, you know, let's just have people, they're just going to record a video with their iPhone and then they're going to put it in, in box. It'll be great. And you're like, yeah, it's not going to work like that. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So then, so then really a lot of what you're doing then is enhancing that capability into people's existing tech ecosystem by, by working through these other partners to say, Hey, you have, you threw out loop. I know loop, right. You know, you have, yeah. and so you say, Hey, we want to be able to integrate this in so that we're already using this. This is part of our ecosystem. Now we've just enhanced the capability, the platform to say, Hey, with your existing learning experience platform, learning management system. Now, in addition to just deploying content, you can actually create workflows in the system and say, Hey, here's a thing. Now you need to do this and then, mm -hmm. you know, submit this. And, and that's all being built into the ecosystem. Exactly. Yeah. So from the learner's perspective, it just feels like a natural native part of the, the LMS or the content or engagement solution, whatever the partner tool is. Uh, it just feels like a natural extension of that product. And that's the goal. And, you know, another really cool, uh, like, happenstance, if you will, is, you know, being able to incorporate the data that's generated in Bongo into some of the data sets of an LMS, right? And that really allows from a holistic standpoint, you know, an, an HR professional to have, you know, a, a view or vantage point across the whole learning life cycle. Right. Because you know, like like you said earlier, Bongo, you know, we want to focus on our core competency. That's not, you know, th there's a lot of learning that isn't structured video workflows. Right. There's and, lots of other stuff. Exactly. And, you know, but being a part of a partner solution allows that partner organization to Tell leverage these workflows and combine it with their own. And, you know, ultimately bring to market to end users a more powerful solution uh, that, that, you know, is, is in market much faster okay. uh, compared to trying to reinvent the wheel themselves. So I'm actually curious just from a data flow standpoint on this one, mm -hmm. how that works, because I, the thing I think that is really important in what you're saying, and, and I think this is something that, you know, I've talked a lot about when it comes to upskilling and reskilling is the fact that like you need to tell the holistic story. You can't just tell the story of, well, what does the data in the LMS say? Like that's an important data point, but we also need to be pulling in, you know, external benchmarking. We need to be pulling in HR system data. We need to be pulling in multiple data sources so that we're not just saying, oh, Josh is this way. And you're like, well, that's based on a very narrow narrow visibility. So if you're integrating in with some of these learning tech providers, you're capturing a lot more data than mm -hmm. would be in like, okay, the SCORM package was completed, was not completed. And even if it's X API, some other thing. So that's, you're capturing that through Bongo. Is that then feeding back into, right, the, the mm -hmm. solution provider? So that's then enhancing their dashboard as well? Or is it a separate place that like a, a me is going to go to say, well, I have to look at my LMS data and then I also have to go to my Bongo portal mm -hmm. and what that is. How's that working? Sure. Uh, so I guess the short answer is it, it can be either. Uh, either. So we do have uh, capability where uh, an end user, you know, if an organization uh, wanted to access the data uh, just straight from Bongo, uh, there is a way to do that. Uh, but really, the more common way is 
is what you described. We have a data, ex we call it a data extraction API. Um, and yeah, so it's a way for the data sets that are being generated inside of Bongo to be pushed into the data sets of the host product, the LMS, for instance. And, you know, again, then they can be correlated or, or minute, you know, that data set can be uh, not manipulated, but like yeah, aggregated together, yeah, right? exactly. curated yeah. together into that. So, okay, exactly. that makes sense. So it really then depends on the solution provider that you're working with, that you've yeah. partnered with, how they decided to do it. But as mm -hmm. an end consumer, potentially, if you say, hey, I need more data than maybe was fed back into the solution provider, you have all that so that people exactly. can you know, and typically it's a phased approach. So yeah. kind of phase one when we, you know, move forward with a partnership is, hey, like, let's make the integration super seamless. Phase two is typically around data, you know, uh, like passing more uh, uh, useful data uh, into their system. And then, you know, like a phase three is, okay, well, how do we combine these kind of solution, you know, two different solutions and the data sets that are generated to create something more powerful. And that might be like if a learning management system has like uh, like intelligent agents or like selective release conditions or like adaptive learning, yeah. right? Um, so the use case I was describing earlier, having a learner uh, articulate what, you know, what they know. And it might be around a sales pitch, an elevator pitch, or, or you know, the difference between GDPR and CCPA from a compliance standpoint, like right. there's lots of use cases, um, but then the being cases able are unlimited, honestly. Exactly. It's yeah. a matter of like, what do you need people to articulate back? Exactly. And especially so, now in COVID times where communication is. Yeah. You know, and communicating virtually like this is different than communicating over coffee in a face-to-face -face environment. So, but you know, the, the kind of phase three, if you will, of an integration is, getting alert you know getting a learner to make a submission and then you know a little bit of a, a plug for auto analysis the machine driven feedback well, that's what we're doing next so you don't have to go too <laughs> sure, far okay. i'm about to yes yeah. yeah, but out. being able to automatically determine if somebody said the correct word or phrase or or um you know we, we can through uh you know uh, machine learning automatically detect if something was uh, hit on. And then if, you know, that generates a passing score and that adaptive element of like an LMS, for instance, might lead that learner down a different path compared to if they got it incorrect. So being able to do more sophisticated uh, things like that, I would put in the like phase three integration yeah. category. And that's typically, you know, usually we're generating, you know, already touching hundreds of thousands of users with that partner and generating, you know, a right. couple million dollars by that point. Uh, so it's a lot easier to justify the engineering work on yeah. both sides. Okay. Got it. Julie, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to chime in that, uh, Christopher, you're gonna, you were mentioning the, the communication being so important. And there's, I mean, there's a zillion use cases around that, right? Yeah. Like building rapport for customer success on the on the floor of a, of a retail shop or um, sales pitch, all these things that we've been talking about. But I want to highlight too the physical skill demonstration use cases that, um, you know, for the beauty industry, properly applying makeup, you know, you go into one of these beauty stores and yeah. 
how are they touching the customer and are they doing that properly or, you know, giving a facial, that kind of thing. I mean, that's big business um, or how to, how to build a sandwich properly or organ. Uh, I don't know what, what the proper restaurant language is, but how you present food presentation, you know, yeah. like how, right. how you do that. Or one of the most fun use cases that I remember seeing was um, the assignment was to sew a slice that was made in a chicken breast together. Oh, yeah. It was a, the medical <laughs> example, how to, do, how to do stitches. So there's a lot of, of those types of use cases, you know, physical therapy, you know, how are you moving somebody's arm that it's literally, how else are you going to show that you know how to do that? If you're not using video, you're going to write an essay. That's not going <laughs> to work. It would take, take you 10 times longer too, right? I, I'm actually really glad you brought that up, Julie, because I think sometimes it is easy to think of video as only just being a, oh, for communications, right? The way we communicate back and forth. But actually you think about what happened with COVID and the fact that a lot of people can't be in the same places. Or honestly, I, I, COVID just, to me, accelerated everything that was already yeah. happening, right? We were mm -hmm. a global distributed world. Everybody was all over the place. And to your point, I think it's a great one where it's like, sometimes it's like, how do you do this thing? Take a video of it and show us and we'll give you feedback, right? We're mm -hmm. going to see, hey, this is how you should do it differently. Or this is actually, you completely messed that up and that's okay, but let's use this as a learning opportunity. So right. I think there's an opportunity to kind of expand the use cases from just like okay let's do a you know having a difficult conversation with a direct report still a good use case not saying that's a bad one but that's the tip of the iceberg yeah. mm -hmm. okay yeah, so i want to i want to make sure we don't run out of time to because again this one could get really big and hopefully people can chime in if we're getting too technical here <laughs> so feel free i am watching the comments i promise um but with this is the fact that one of the challenges that inevitably, even with traditional workflows that I've always seen is in theory, again, even if you can reduce the friction of the technical component, right? Okay, we've got the video and now it's, it's easier to do that. That is a huge hurdle and that's important. There is still the challenge of somebody has to look at and give feedback on that. And for years I've been saying like, why? Like, tech, this is what machine learning is like designed for is to analyze this stuff and look at this stuff. And yes, do you still need that human component? Sure. I'm not recommending that you just let the machines do their thing, but for the speed and scale of analyzing what people are doing, looking for specific things, you know, finding patterns and then being able to just automatically give feedback on that. That's huge. And the fact is tech can do it but I actually have not seen a lot of players doing that yet. So I'm actually curious how you're, you know, starting to starting or are well down a path of mm -hmm. automating this. Cause this is where I've seen some of these initiatives just go down like the Hindenburg, right? Where it's like, all right, we did it. We got the workflow figured out. And now we have all these videos. Oh, and managers aren't even looking at them. And now we've rolled this out. We've told everybody to go do this and nobody's getting the feedback. And now they feel like I took the time to make this video. Nobody's even looking at the video. Nobody's giving me anything. And like, boom, it just goes south. So talk a little bit about that automagic component. Sure. Yeah, I, you know, I would say 
or like, like I uh, was mentioning earlier, we got our start in higher education. And just like you were saying, in, in higher ed with college students, it's okay to have college students spend you know, time watching every single video, like that's part of the learning process. But in, you know, as soon as a couple of years ago, when we started to shift or expand into corporate learning, that was the biggest uh, uh, suggestion was, hey, this functionality is awesome, but watching every video is just too cumbersome and it's a task right. too large. Right, in higher ed it works, right? Because the professors, yeah, but, your job, their job yeah, is to- Yeah, instructors are getting paid to give- You're getting paid to do it, right? So you're like, exactly. okay, my job is to review and assess and do all this. And it's actually reducing their workload by saying, mm -hmm. rather than me having to go do this. In the corporate world, it's actually stacking more on because it's like, hey, yeah. I know you have your day job and the 9 million other things, but while you're at it, can you go through these 37 videos and give feedback to all these people? And people just go like, yeah. Exactly. It's just a, you know too much to ask for and, and it's too time consuming. And that's really what, you know, where the genesis of auto analysis came from was uh, work, you know, like you mentioned, using machine learning and AI powered tools uh, auto analysis effectively automates the feedback process uh, and makes it so, you know, it doesn't fully replace the human evaluator, but it makes it far, far faster to provide evaluation. And, you know, additionally, you know, with, with uh, especially more recently, uh, it allows for uh, practitioners or, or teaching and learning professionals to really focus on the 5% of people that really need the help and the attention, as opposed to, you know, uh, just trying to get a bearings of where the 10,000 salespeople uh, are at. And, you know, that uh, automation and time savings is something that has been received very, very well in corporate learning. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and then being like I was alluding to earlier, uh, now that we're starting to have uh, more robust functionality with auto analysis, uh, such as the phrase or keyword identifier, um, you know, that's allowing us to do uh, like one plus one equals three type of value adds where the actual grading process you know, just looks for a specific word or phrase uh, so it might be in microsoft you know they have like 30 let's say 30,000 salespeople, and there might be some initiative to articulate or or give a pitch on why microsoft azure is more powerful than aws and whether or not that you know and, and we actually are in hypothetically AWS, speaking but, <laughs> exactly and that, this is just a hypothetical use case but and, and like i said we're, we're actually an aws shop but you know for that use case you know thirty thousand salespeople giving a five minute elevator pitch you know is, that's a lot of video that's created and you know the experts at Microsoft, I, I would guarantee you, have identified specific phrases that resonate with the audience or or customers, yeah. and that's part of the material that's being taught to or pushed down to the sales professionals. And what auto analysis can do, like today, is uh, auto transcribe what's being said and then identify those phrases or keywords and 
you know, bubble them up and provide that as the grade. So if you put, you know, five phrases, let's say, um, of, or maybe it's just Azure is better than AWS because, you know, maybe that's what Microsoft is looking for. Um, you know, the system will automatically identify if that was, was said and, and uh, demo, you know, show or demonstrate that the learners, you know, are, are doing what is requested of them. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting. And again, the, the capabilities of it, it's, I've been amazed at how far it's come in, in the past few years, mm. right? Even the speed of transcription, mm. right? I mean, you, the fact you can transcribe things in real time and, and get sentiment and tone and right, you mm. can actually start to detect these things. But I think the part that you're getting at and that where sometimes I've seen this debate blow up is like, well, a machine just can't do what a human can. And it's like, probably, probably that's true, right? From a, you know, giving coaching feedback or things like that. But the mm. challenge is, those SMEs can't look at 30,000 sales reps videos to kind of identify like which are the ones that, you know, we want to highlight as a great example or mm -hmm. highlight as, hey, here's an opportunity. Like this is, you know, what not to do and here's why and things like that. And that's where to me the one automation can help one, give a user immediate feedback so that instead of waiting on their mm -hmm. boss who's got 9,000 other things and just never has the time to get around to it, they can get some high level feedback on, okay, you, know, you, you said this, you forgot to say this, you know, you, you need to do more of this. That can be done pretty quick, but then also that data can then feed upstream to say, hey, how do we curate and how do we actually pull from, you know, overall, how are people doing? Are 80% of people there? Are 10% of people there? So that you can actually start to make actionable insights mm -hmm. on a data-driven approach versus mm -hmm. like, people really seem to love it. I think they got it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think a machine can actually do better than a human in assessing what Josh was just talking about, like certain content, um, yeah. word identification. If I were reviewing somebody, I'd, I'd have trouble making sure that they said all these different words because I'm, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes probably. A machine's probably going to be more accurate. Yes. Yeah, and, and think about how cumbersome trying to track the number of filler words is. So oh. things like like, um, so. All right, Josh, your job is to watch 30,000 sales pitch videos and count the number of times they say, um, like I would just quit my job. right exactly. now. And be like, so I'm, I'm done. That's a 10 year project. It's an impossible oh. task for humans, but the system can do that automatically. And, you know, being able to just present that information to the practitioner of, hey, this segment of people really needs to work on their delivery. They're talking yeah. too fast, according to the algorithms. They, you know, or, or this other segment, they have, they really struggle with filler words. Yeah. You know, being able to present that information to HR professionals or managers really just makes their lives much easier and, and the, the task at hand completed far faster than, you know, and, and then traditional means, right? A one-on-one -on -one kind of engagement with yep. a learner. Well, and Julie, you know, it, you brought up a really good point with this, right? When it comes to the machine versus a human piece, you have to really kind of almost deconstruct it, right? Because there's this whole idea of, oh, you know, giving feedback, it's like, well, that's not, that's not a universal thing, right? There's a component mm -hmm. of feedback that's very robotic and pattern-based. Right. That is ideal for a machine, 
they can do it at speed and scale way better than a human can. Then there's the human side of it where it's like, well, there's also the feedback on, right? Like some of the things that a machine's not going to be able to detect as well. And this allows, in my opinion, people to focus more on that stuff instead of getting caught up in the, how many yeah. times did they say, um, did they say this word? Like, why? Well, I think it's also becomes more objective. I mean, personally, I know it can be hard yeah. to give feedback in a consistent way. I mean, I like Josh. So maybe when Josh does his spiel, he may say, um, a hundred, right. but I only heard 10. And when, because right. I was know, just dazzled by him. Yeah. When, <laughs> when Susie did it, you know, I, I heard all a hundred. It's like, oh my gosh, that was terrible. You know, just because yeah. I have my own filters that I don't even realize, you know, that I have bias. So yeah. It's an, it's an important part. And I think this is where when used right, this is where it can, right, it can be used wrong and then it only makes the problem worse. But when used right, it actually can eliminate or reduce bias significantly. And even if we're not talking the bias thing, just give objective feedback to people to be like, this is a apples to apples comparison. You said um 17 times, you said it three. You did yeah. a better job simply on that and you've removed kind of the personal opinion like well julie really kind of irritates me so those three just drove me nuts but i didn't really care about the 17 over here and that's not fair because then you're really not giving objective feedback your personal opinions weighing in so a question that uh, matthew brought up that i i'm actually really curious about this having spent a lot more time in immersive tech recently going back to the early comment julie you said about actually you know, people having a video captured of them, you know, doing something. To me, this is where VR and AR is opening a lot of doors, right? In that you can actually put people in an environment. Are there, you know, are there partners you're working with now, or are you seeing some of these use cases where you're capturing video through some of this immersive tech and actually being able to do that? Is that, is that in play now? Is it something you're starting to toy with? I've heard some of our partners talk about it, but I haven't seen it in play yet. And I don't know, Josh, if you've seen it. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, I am aware of a number of uh, VR, but especially AR uh, companies in, in the teaching and learning space. And although I, you know, it's exciting and, and it's cool technology, you know, our focus has really been just on, uh, you, I think said it earlier, democratizing the availability yep. of this. And the reality is, especially VR, uh, that, that the requirements right. is expensive equipment. Uh, you know, we're, we're more so going down the path of trying to make it available to everyone. You know, we have, like, like I mentioned earlier, millions of users, but, you know, we also have millions of users in South America or over in Europe or yeah. in Southeast Asia. So it's, you know, and users that are in a, you know, we have a, a big deployment in Brazil. Almost all of them are coming from a, a cell phone that's six years old, yep. right? It's, so it, we're- So being able to do that is, yeah. that's a core part of your strategy is to say, let's make this as easy as possible for yeah. any user, no matter where they are. And I guess to Matthew's question, um, you know, I, I'll kind of chime in on this because I think this is where you're going to see it happen more. And I don't know that you'll necessarily, it's going to necessarily change a whole lot of what you do because you're the enabler of the workflow itself, right? You're taking yeah. video content, 
regardless of where that video is generated and then automating and distributing and actually kind of creating that feedback loop. Mm -hmm. So the bigger question, or I think where we'll start to see this is, you know, so I, I was in an Oculus Quest for 24 hours last week. Um, you know, and so the, the tech and now, you know, Facebook announced the quest Two, which now price point down two ninety nine. this is, it's going to become a more democratized technology, but I think what's going to be interesting is as that starts to scale, there are going to be more outputs of, Hey, you know what? I mean, I could do it now. I could go in alt space and generate a video of me having a conversation with someone and output that to something. I think the question will then be what partners are then tapping into that and saying, Hey, we're, we're a partner that you can then deploy mm -hmm. right through your headset. Then where Bongo would play in and say, all right, well then what we do is we actually carry that video through mm -hmm. and get that all the way out. So I think the question is we're absolutely going to see it. So if you're not seeing it yet, I think it's going to be another year before it really takes off, but I'm confident that this is going to hit, hit like a ton of bricks here pretty soon. Totally. Cool. Well, so I guess the la there was one other question that I had and now it's slipping my mind. Um, all right, well, I'll ask a question. Yeah. Did you just say in Oculus quest? And okay. Oculus so quest. not everybody, is that a game? <laughs> How stupid am I making myself look on this show right now? <laughs> okay, so my Oculus Quest, right, is my VR headset and handset. So mm -hmm. I was in that for 24 hours last week at a at a virtual event. So mm -hmm. that's Oculus oh. Quest. So that that's okay. What it is. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> But I just made myself look probably pretty stupid, but you know, no. I, like I said, this is, I mean, I'm the learning tech guy. So, right. I'm playing with things before they're mainstream. So no, it's, it's not quite there, but it's coming very quickly because a lot of this immersive tech is it's being democratized similar to what you're doing for video workflow. A lot of this technology is just massively transforming. So on the, the, oh yeah, I remembered my question now. So with the, um, with the automation piece, mm -hmm. as that's happening, are you seeing that, um, where do you see that going, right? Like right now you talked about some of the things where it's capturing the it's and the ums and it's, it's mm -hmm. looking for keywords and things like that. Are you, um, are you seeing that or what's the roadmap? And if it's too long, we've only got two minutes left, but I, I'm curious on this. And by the way, just so you don't feel bad, Julie, um, Bill Bayer said, don't worry. He had no idea what the Oculus quest was either. <laughs> Thanks William Bayer. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Cause then now otherwise people would have been like, I have no idea what Christopher just said. Yeah. So just uh, real quick from uh, where we're going perspective, uh, you know, working on a lot of different things and, and the majority of our horsepower engineering horsepower right now is focused on auto analysis enhancements. Uh, but, you know, I, I would say really two things. One, uh, starting to incorporate uh, functionality that uh, has facial recognition um, okay. and it's, it's based off facial recognition technology. It's not to recognize Julie's face. It's to recognize the sentiment yeah. and you know, behind those eyes kind of thing. Or, or yep. you know, if you squint your eyebrows, that's an indication of frustration. And being able to map that up with talking a little faster 
has correlation with be, you know, coming across as disingenuous, for instance. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, rolling your eyes. I mean, there's lots of things that you can start to see with how exactly. somebody is responding. And, and that's what, there's a, uh, another part of learning science that basically indicates more of communication is in your facial expressions and your exactly nonverbal cues as opposed to what's actually being said. Okay. Uh, so we, we've been prototyping with that uh, uh, and have a number of different really cool things centered around that. Another component is, uh, you know, making it so the phrase recognition and auto analysis is, you know, right now it takes like 20 seconds to set up, but we have a lot of educators that, uh, or corporate learning educators that, you know, they don't even want, you know, they just want it to be fully automated. Okay. So a, a cool feature that also is is being worked on right now is uh, automated phrase recognition engine. Okay. Uh, we need marketing to come up with a, a little more concise word. <laughs> Cooler. Uh, that, yeah. word for it. <laughs> uh, but, but essentially what it is, is uh, you can send the system uh, source material. So it might be a PowerPoint. It might be a video that already exists of okay. like, the excellent example. Uh, it might just be a product brief. And then our system can intelligently pick out the most important parts of that source material, automatically configure the phrase recognition tool uh, to look for the you know, elements in that source document okay. and automatically surface whether the learners are, are talking about key pieces of that document. Okay. And you know, that full automation we think is, is you know, really going to be the crown jewel of auto analysis in that it, it just is, you know, makes it so everything's instant and automatic uh, for uh, teaching and learning professionals. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I told you we were going to run out of time. I knew that was a dangerous <laughs> question to ask, like right at the end. I'm like, ah, well, whatever. It's fine. I, we can go over a minute. So, all right. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap us up. Uh, you know, thanks everybody for, for joining us. Hopefully we got all your questions answered. Ben, I, I'll, I'll ping you offline. There was one more question that came in um, on, on how to get in touch with, with Josh and Julie um, for people who are interested in learning more. So thanks everybody for being here. Hope you had thanks. a wonderful week. And have a great weekend, and we will be back next week. Thanks, Josh and Julie, for joining me. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye.